The reading today is from the book of Acts, chapter 19, beginning at verse 23 through to the end of the chapter at verse 41. That's Acts chapter 19, starting at verse 23. About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, You know, my friends, we receive a good income from this business, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There's a danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in an uproar, and the people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's travelling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theatre together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples wouldn't let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theatre. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most didn't even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defence before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there is anything farther you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there's no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. Thanks, Jonathan, and good morning, everyone. My name's Carl. I'm the senior pastor here at Trinity Church. I let me add my welcome to Jack and to Hendre. It's, it is really great to be with you this morning. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for encouraging each other as we look to walk along with Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, I let you know that uh, our missionary family that we support in South Africa, the Roe family, were going through some sickness, that a few of them in their family were struggling with COVID and had been infected with that virus. Um, I want to let you know this morning that Mike has now recovered from that. He's testing negative for COVID and is doing much better. Um, but Mitchell, their, their boy, is not going so well still. He's still, um, it seems, struggling with some of the uh, ongoing effects with sickness at the moment. Um, so I want to ask you and encourage you to keep praying for the Roe family, keep praying particularly for Mitchell, that he would trust in God, that he would be healed by God, and that those who are looking after him would have wisdom as they care for him. I'm going to do that now, pray for the Roe family, and then we're going to turn our attention to the book of Acts. Let me pray.
Father God, we thank you for the recovery of Mike and the way in which you have preserved him and Karen and Amelia. Now this morning we want to lift Mitchell before you and we ask that you would help to heal him. Please provide great medical care for him and give wisdom to those who are treating him. We ask that you'd strengthen the whole Roe family at the moment. Please go before them as they, as they work so hard for you in a difficult part of the world. Please encourage them by enabling their work to bear much fruit. And Father, we pray that you'd strengthen them in body and mind at the moment. Amen. Well, speaking of CMS, which is who Mike and Karen work with, I want to let you know that in a couple of weeks' time on the 12th of September, Mark Peterson, who works for CMS, is going to be joining us here at Trinity Church Unley to help us just get to know CMS as an organisation a little bit better and to understand the sort of work that CMS is involved with. So that'll be in a couple of weeks' time. It'll be our last week in the Book of Acts together. We're looking at the very last section of Acts. Jack will be preaching. Mark will be here. It's going to be a terrific Sunday. So if you can join us again in two weeks, we'd love to have you here. Right, well, this morning we're turning our attention to the riot that happens in Ephesus. It's the passage that Jonathan just read to us. And I wonder, as you, as you listened along, as you read in your own Bibles, what you thought of this passage. What did you make of it? As I read it uh, time and time again this week, it kind of, it felt like to me at times that I was more like reading a newspaper article than I was reading the Bible. I wondered at one point whether perhaps Luke forgot he was writing the Bible at this point. Maybe Luke had a side hustle where he wrote for the Ephesus Daily Mail or the Jerusalem Times or something and and somehow his leaves of paper kind of got all mixed up together and this story ended up in the Bible. Because there's no mention in this passage about the true God. There's no declaration of the gospel that Jesus is Lord and Saviour. It's just rather like a, a narrative section about a riot. And in some ways, it just seems like your, your kind of average run-of-the-mill riot. Could have been caused by toilet paper shortages. Could have been caused by changing daylight savings or increasing fuel excise taxes. Or, or I mean, There's so many different things that we protest about today, aren't there? And it's not like even in Acts that this is the first time that the gospel has been confronted by an angry mob. Back in chapter 17, there's a riot in Thessalonica. That, that little story gets only five verses of attention. But we see riots and disturbances happen in chapter 14, 16 and 18. So why? Why does Luke, our author of this passage, why has he included so much detail about this riot for us? What does he want us to know? What's his purpose? wonder what you think. Here's what I think Luke is doing. I think he's helping us as readers today to see the credibility of the gospel. So we're going to see today that the gospel changes everything. We kind of heard that already in our kids' talk. We're going to see today that the gospel changes everything in a city. And if that's the case, if the gospel changes everything, if it changes your life, if it has the potential to change an entire city, then we better be confident in this gospel. Confident that it's not built on a sham or on robbery or on trickery or all those sorts of things. Here's what I think Acts 19 does. I think it helps us to see the authenticity and the credibility of the gospel. And that's really important for us today. Because credibility leads to confidence. And we need confidence, don't we, as we go out and proclaim who Jesus is 
and what he's done for us. As you keep thinking through and you keep working on spring connections in your own family, as you keep thinking through, who am I going to connect with? I hope today that you get a little bit more confidence in the gospel that you might be able to one day share that with them. I think that's what this passage is about. Confidence about the credibility of the gospel. Well, let's, let's have a look at the text. I'm going to read to you just the first bit. Jonathan's already read it, but let's read it again from, from verse 23. This is what it says. About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with workers in related trades and he said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and and practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. Now, Demetrius, it tells us, is a silver worker. It seems like he's sort of... Um, maybe part of a guild of silver workers where he might have a significant role in that guild. Maybe he's kind of like the, the shop steward or the, the unofficial leader of the, the silversmiths. But whatever the case is, he, he calls together other trades workers because he can see a problem, particularly on the horizon, but he sees this problem. And, and here's the issue, the problem that he sees. Christianity, or as Luke calls it here, the way, it's threatening his pay packet. Now, Demetrius had been making good money by making these little silver shrines that get sold as trinkets or, or artifacts. But Paul's message about the way, following after Jesus, walking in his footsteps, is disrupting his business of making and selling silver shrines. It's changing the way that people think and the way that they behave. And Demetrius is worried. Maybe they'll sell fewer trinkets, fewer shrines. And if that keeps happening, then then his income will dry up, as will the other trades. And that's his problem. That's what he's worried about. Now, Demetrius is in the city of Ephesus. It's a city that's inextricably or, or like tightly linked to the god Artemis. She was a goddess of wild animals and childbirth and chastity. I've got a photo of her on the screen, a statue of her. You might have heard of her as the Roman god Diana. She's said to be the daughter of Zeus and Leto, a twin sister of Apollo. And Ephesus was home to the temple of Artemis. Now, this temple was an enormous monument, some 140 metres long. And I've got a photo of that as well on the screen, a big temple with lots of columns. It was known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. You might have heard of those. The temple of Artemis is one of them. And Artemis and the city of Ephesus kind of go hand in glove. It's important to know that because, in a sense, a threat to Artemis is a threat to the whole city, a threat to Ephesus. I've been trying to think through what's a modern-day equivalent to this sort of scenario. And here's the closest thing that I've come up with. It's kind of like football, AFL football, and the city of Melbourne. We take our footy pretty seriously here in Adelaide, But in Melbourne, it's like a religion, isn't it? Footy and the city of Melbourne are linked together, tied together, peas in a pod. I mean, imagine if everyone in Melbourne suddenly stopped going to the footy on a Sunday morning or a Sunday and they instead went to church. That wouldn't go unnoticed, would it? Think about the poor hot donut seller 
They're waiting at the MCG and no one's coming past the stall or the sellers of Team Guernsey's. They no longer have a job. And that's what's going on here in Ephesus. The relationship between the city of Ephesus and Artemis is a bit like the relationship between Footy and Melbourne. And so it's no wonder then that Demetrius is upset. He's noticed Paul's work in the city. And remember, Paul's been there for some time. Remember last week we looked at the hard labour that Paul had been through. Two years of daily preaching, sweaty labour, working for the cause of the gospel. And here we see it's having an impact. People's spending habits are changing. Imagine that. I want you to pause just for a moment here and and just marvel at this bit of news because this is not coming out of of Paul's mouth or, or just out of Luke's fingers. This is news from the mouth of an opponent to the gospel. Luke's not giving us one of those score updates here. This is from an opponent. Let me read to you his words again from verse 26. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and practically the whole province of Asia. Large numbers of people in the whole province of Asia. This is incredible, isn't it? The gospel is having an impact. It's changing not just one or two people, but its impact is being felt across a city. And the whole province is noticing this impact. As they come to recognize that Jesus is Lord and Savior, they no longer need to buy these silver trinkets or or pay homage to Artemis. They recognize that pagan gods are no gods at all. And this is happening widely enough that Demetrius is starting to feel the pinch. He's observing a change. The city's behavior is changing. Now, for him, it's a negative change because it's hitting his, his hip pocket. But, but for us today, I want you to see this as a great encouragement because the gospel's going out in Ephesus and people are changing and they're turning to God and they're turning away from worthless idols. Now, Demetrius is a sharp character and he's upset by this change. And so he does something that many do and he engages the mob, he engages the crowd. He tells the crowd that Artemis might be discredited and might even be robbed of her divine majesty if this continues to go on. Now you might be wondering, is this gospel presentation of Paul's, has it really been that successful? Has it really had that much of an impact? Or is this just hyperbole, a man trying to drum up the crowd? He likes to incite violence. However you see it, Demetrius is doing well at inciting the crowd, isn't he? They start chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And it doesn't take long before the whole city is in uproar. And they rush to the theatre. It's a huge space. The theatre is still there today. It's got a photo of that on the screen. It's capable of holding about 25,000 people. We're not talking about Adelaide Oval here, but pretty close, Right? 25,000 people, and that's full, and they are chanting because the gospel's having an impact. It's changing people. And it takes the city clerk, a a high-ranking official, to settle the disturbance. Let me read to you from verse 35. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. The clerk is essentially saying, calm down. Calm down. This city 
is built on Artemis and her temple. And I think what he means is the gospel's no challenge, no real threat to Artemis, because Ephesians and Artemis go hand in hand. It's no threat here. Get a grip on yourselves. But the clerk also says in verse 37, and we'll come back to this, you have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. And I reckon verse 37 is important for us today because the clerk is saying, essentially, the disruption that Paul and the gospel have made, the disruption, it's a good disruption. It's not bringing evil into our city. They've not robbed the temples, nor have they blasphemed Artemis. So if you've got a problem with them, you need to settle it in the proper way. Take them to the courts. But stop this rioting nonsense. If you don't, you might find yourself facing Rome. Essentially, you have a much bigger problem on your hands than you have with the Christians. And with that, the clerk dismisses the crowd and they go their own way. Well, that's the story in a nutshell, isn't it? So what are we to do with it today? What do we do with this passage? It's part of our Bibles, but as I said, it it feels like it could have been written for the the Daily Mail of Ephesus or for the Jerusalem Times. Well, Well, here's three things that I think we can do with this passage today. Three things that I'd like us to walk away knowing and remembering. The first is that the gospel, the gospel gives rise to opposition when it's presented. The gospel gives rise to opposition. Second thing I want us to say this morning is that the gospel enjoys God's good protection. The gospel enjoys God's protection. And the third thing is, is that the gospel is credible and good. It brings Good changes to society, not bad. Three things I think we can walk away with knowing. So the gospel in opposition, let's look at that first. Well, there's no doubt about it, is there, that as the gospel goes out from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth, remember the the mission statement of the book of Acts, it's having an impact on the world. And we see that here. Demetrius sees it firsthand. He says a large number of people in Ephesus and the the whole province of Asia have been captured by Jesus. That matches the the progress update that Luke had been giving us. Remember that scorecard, like the, the, the footy score match that Luke gives every now and again? The last one that we saw was in chapter 19, verse 20. You can have a look at that in your Bibles. There we read that the, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And with that growth, I want you to see that It's disrupting society. Disrupting society. Change gives rise to opposition. Now for Demetrius, the the problem is his hip pocket, his income's being threatened. If you know that that, that idols of of Athens or the idols of of Ephesus, if you know that they're just made by human hands, well well then you'll stop buying them, won't you? You'll stop worshipping them. And you'll turn to the true and living God. Why buy a, a silver shrine if that's the case? The gospel changes your priorities. It's changing the way people think it. It's changing their beliefs. It's changing their practices. And it's even having an impact on the economy of the city. We see that a little bit earlier on in this chapter as well. Come back with me to, to verse 19 of chapter 19, if you've got your Bibles there. We skimmed over this last week, but, but here in, in verse 19, we see those who practice magic or sorcery, they get a real fright. There's something that happens. You can read about that later on. They who used to practice magic then turn to the living God and in doing so, they, they burn their magic scrolls. Now, it might seem like a, you know, almost a, a nothing event, 
But Luke tells us the value of those scrolls and it helps us see how important this was. They were worth, Luke tells us, 50,000 drachmas. Drachmas about a day's wages. In our money today then, 50,000 days wages, about $17 million. A lot of money. See, the gospel is having an economic impact. No wonder then that it provokes opposition. And later in chapter 19, the bit we've read today, we see that opposition results in a riot, and it's a big riot, a whole city in uproar. So here's the thing for us today. As we keep pushing forward with our Spring Connections project, as we pray that the gospel would go out from this place, it's good to know, isn't it, what Luke is preparing us for? that the gospel is often met with opposition. So if we start to feel that opposition, let's not be surprised. Luke's giving us fair warning of that. I like the way that Hugh Palmer from All Souls in Langham Place puts it. He says, the gospel won't allow us to keep our heads below the parapet. In other words, you won't be able to stay hidden when you're proclaiming the gospel because the gospel changes lives and practices And that nearly always provokes opposition. So as we embark on a project to connect with with friends and with neighbours and with family, I want you to be aware of this. The gospel provokes opposition. Don't be surprised then if there's pushback. Because not everyone wants to change. Some might feel threatened. They might be just like Demetrius. That's the first thing I want you to... Take home from this passage, the gospel gives rise to opposition, so be prepared for that. It's always been that way, even back in Ephesians. And yet, I also want you to see that because the gospel is the good news of Jesus, because it's God's gospel, I want you to see this morning that it won't be thwarted or it won't be stopped. I think that's the second thing we can learn from this passage. Have you noticed as we've been reading through Acts as a church, have you noticed that there's almost divine protection that's given to Paul. Remember back in chapter 14, Paul's miraculous escape from being stoned, not once but twice, he just kind of slips away. Well, here in this chapter, the the riot is equally quelled by by a town clerk. The way that Luke records it, it, it kind of sounds strange, almost overly simple. Let me read to you again his words from verse 35. Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven. Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. This is what he's saying to a riot of 25,000 people. And what happens? They, they calm down. Now, maybe this guy is a giant, you know, superhuman presence. And so people listen to him. Or maybe he's got a whole army standing behind him. We don't really know. But the result is here that Paul and his companions are spared, they're protected, and they go on to gospelize for another day. And we've seen this lots of times so far in the book of Acts, haven't we? We see God will protect his gospel and will enable it to go out to the ends of the earth. After all, that's God's mission. And God's mission will not fail. 
And as we read this passage today, can you see the irony for us today in the claims of the town clerk? His claim is that Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of Artemis and that her image fell from heaven. Now, most likely he's referring here to a meteorite that was thought to be part of the temple or of Artemis herself. His claim is basically that Ephesus and Artemis are so big, so solid, so important that nothing can shake them. And yet today there's no such thing as the temple of Artemis. The, the photo I showed you before, it's just a model of the temple. The real temple was destroyed by the Goths a, a few hundred years after Acts was written. And what of Artemis? Well, there's a, a NASA space program named after Artemis that seeks to put a man and a woman on the moon in 2024. But in nearly every other aspect, Artemis is, is no longer just Greek mythology. And yet there are 2.5 billion people today who follow after Jesus. See, the clerk might have quietened the crowd by appealing to the, to the might of Artemis and, and her entrenched worship of Ephesus. But Demetrius was the one who was right here, not the city clerk. He saw where this was all heading. Artemis will fall, Ephesus would fall. But Jesus will continue to be proclaimed. The mission of God will go on. You see, the gospel enjoys God's good protection. The third thing I want us to see from our passage today is the kind of disruption that the gospel makes. The gospel is disrupting here, but it's good disruption. There's, There's no evil intent or no evil action on view here. See, rather, the gospel breaks into the idolatry of the time. It's breaking over the hold that Artemis has over the people. It's disrupting, but disrupting in a good way. Now, there are lots of things that disrupt our world today, aren't there? Over the last couple of years, nearly every aspect of our lives have been disrupted by a virus. But other things also disrupt our world. You might occasionally hear media reports of the way in which, say, say drugs are disrupting the fabric of our society. Those sort of disruptions are, are horrid and, and tremendously damaging. They're evil. But look what the town clerk says about Christianity. It's there in verse 37. Let me read it again. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls, they can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. So Paul and his fellow workers, they, they haven't robbed temples or spoken poorly of the town or its religious practices. They're not behaving badly. They're simply presenting another worldview. The gospel brings good news to people. It disrupts in a good way. I think this is tremendously important for us to remember today. See, the gospel may bring disruption into our world, into the lives in which we live, and yet I want to remind you this morning, it does that not with evil intent or malicious action. Luke's helping us here to defend the Christian faith, and I think this is really important for us today. Because is that how you still see Christianity working? Does it disrupt in a good way? I reckon a number of people in Adelaide would have a different view. They'd see Christianity as evil. They might say religion is the thing that's wrong with our society. But here we see in Acts 19, the town clerk is showing us that Paul has not acted poorly. 
Now, unfortunately, there has been in our lifetime and in, in recent history huge atrocities in the church, abuse, corruption, and much hurt done by the church. We need to own that as Christians. It's part of our experience. The church is made up of people who are sinful, people who have done terrible and horrible things, things that they need to be held to account for. And that might lead some in our world to conclude that no good can come from Christianity. Oh, here we see an early defence of that from an unlikely supporter in a town clerk. I want you to see this morning that Christianity is inherently good, not evil. Paul and his companions haven't been robbing temples or blaspheming the people's religion. On the contrary, it seems they've been conducting their lives in a pleasing way to God. But at the same time, they've been proclaiming the truth about who Jesus is. So can you see how Luke's helping us today? He's showing us the credibility of the gospel so that we might defend it. Luke's defending the mission of Paul so that we today can have confidence as we declare Jesus to those who we make connections with. See, all along in Acts, Luke has made the content of the gospel easy for us to understand and grasp. It's Jesus, he tells us, who is the Messiah. It's Jesus who is the Lord and Saviour. It's Jesus who died and rose and ascended to the Father. So, Luke says, we must turn and repent and live for him. He's made the content of the gospel easy for us to understand. And here in chapter 19, I think he's adding to the credibility of the message of the gospel. It's not been taught or preached with tricks or with robbery, or with evil intent. But instead, the gospel has been proclaimed by Paul and his companions with honesty and with integrity. That doesn't mean that the gospel is not going to provoke opposition. It will do that. But can you see the provocation is genuinely good? It's bringing good news into a dark and broken world. And I hope that gives us this morning great confidence as we work on our own way on our Spring Connections project, that we too will proclaim Jesus as Lord and Saviour into a dark and broken world. Now pray for us with the help of the Spirit as we do that. Father God, we give you thanks for Paul and his work in Ephesus, for his hard labour there, and for the result of that, that many people were turning to you Thank you for the way in which it changed the whole profile of the city, that people were turning away from gods who were not gods at all and instead coming to worship you. Father, we pray that you'd go before us in our Spring Connections project idea. Help us as we chat with neighbours and family and friends. Please give us confidence to know that your gospel changes the world for good. Father, we ask that you'd go before us in that task, knowing that the reputation of the church is not strong at the moment. And so please help us to play our part by living lives that are worthy of the conduct of the gospel. But also give us confidence as we proclaim Jesus died and risen. Amen.